What's that? Decorum. At tishmeioti. I'll I'll tidagi. Losing your voice. But I'm not feeling that well. I'm gonna be. I, I want to apologize in advance. I'm gonna probably cough a little bit. So I asked him mechila. Um, so I think there was a whole what? Make just make it shorter. And go home and rest. What do you mean? If I'm not feeling well, I should make you feel well? <laughs> no, you yeah, I want right. to share Even the rabbis pain and should suffering. should be able to rest. Oh, yeah. no, yeah. um, there's a smog that's been out there in the last few weeks or two, so I'm a little bit asthmatic. So, the Bezra Hashem, Bezra Hashem. Okay. Um, what could I tell you about Eretz Yisrael? It's uh, the land that flourishes. All of, it, with all of its complexity, uh, the land flourishes in a very beautiful way, and um, you know, uh, there isn't there isn't a there isn't a street kemat or there isn't a there isn't a community that doesn't have a crane um, with the construction, and just when you thought there's no more room to build, there's room to build. It's just a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Um, One of my great rabbinic heroes shared with me a story that, uh, you know, he's, he said it might, uh, if somebody wants to make Aliyah, it might make sense to first move to New York, mm-hmm. so, you know, to get, get used to understand the culture a little bit. Um, Israel's a little bit of a pushy place, it could be a little bit, some of the, some of the people are a little bit pushy sometimes. We had a, we had a, with that fellow, Mr. Tesla, we, we hung out in Israel a few uh, weeks ago. Sons from I from a month ago, there. You really? I was there two months. Beautiful, okay. I fell we should, in love with Israel. We should, we should, Hashem, we should have this year in Israel. All right. Amen. Okay, Amen. Fine. Amen. okay fine. So, um, so, why, so, so, uh, somebody, so, one of my rabbinic heroes shared the story that he, that he finally understood a little bit the culture that, um, he was going to work one day, and as he's walking, he sees an Israeli fellow, and he goes over to him, and he says, Boker Tov, good morning. Uh, and the Israeli fellow just kept on walking. You know, So he chuckled a little bit. So the Israeli said, why are you laughing? He said, because, you know, this, this person I'm speaking about, the, the American, he, he spent a lot of time in Atlanta, Georgia. So he said... Where I, so, he, so the, the fellow said, he said, I'm laughing because I said to you, you know, hello, good morning, in Hebrew, and, um, and you didn't respond. You know, I, said, I found that funny. So he looked at him, Israeli fellow looked at him and he said, but I don't know who you are. Like, what do you mean you're saying hello to me, good morning? Like, I, don't, I have no idea who you are, you know. Now, in America, or at least in California, you could say hello if you don't know a person, right? In New York a little bit, like, you know, it's not so common. So, on the one hand, on the one hand, it's a little bit of a, sometimes of a tough society. On the other hand, the beauty is incredible. The beauty of the people... The, the willingness to do chesed, the sense of the resilience, the sense of seeing Hashem in every place, you know, even even by people who are quote unquote not religious.
when I was in the <clears throat> I was in the supermarket a few uh, weeks ago, so I noticed <clears throat> that they had um, they had you know it, Israel is the land of the land flowing with milk and honey. It's the land flowing with milk products. <laughs> the dairy products are unbelievable in Israel. You know, so uh, so um, I mean they what they call yogurts. You know, would be uh, in America desserts. You know, so I would. I was in, in the supermarket, and um, I noticed that there's this woman. She must have like thirty or forty of this. What it, what looks like a dairy product, but really was a dessert called Yolo. Yolo. You know, Yolo's are. Mm-hmm. So this. Caramel and there's chocolate and there's mm-hmm. vanilla. So I said to this woman, this Haredi woman, I said to her, "What's the story with this yolo?" So she said, "She said the kids love it. The yolo ate it. It's a, you know, the kids love it." I said something like, "I don't know." So I said exactly. Said Zebari. She goes, "Look, Fine. So, uh, so we go to the check. I'm behind in the checkout line. And I said to the woman, I couldn't resist, I said, do you know what YOLO, in Hebrew I'm speaking, do you know what YOLO stands for? So she said, no. So I said, YOLO stands for, you only live once. That's what YOLO stands for. Meaning that this is like the most important thing in the world. You know, you only, this is what you live for, you only live once, you know. Gotta, gotta do your YOLO. So, the Russian... Um, the Russian cashier, who didn't look like a religious woman, she said, "Can you can write him must be remitzen." And the inside, they explain it. You know, they explain what this means. And she, this non-religious Russian woman, she says, "We don't live just for this. It's not true. We don't live just for this." And and then she also was like, "I didn't exactly ask her for it." She said, "And it's not even true. They only live once." We have different lifetimes in Gilgulim and things like that. This is like, you know, the non-religious Russian cashier in the supermarket, right? It's a, it's a beautiful society, Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem. Okay. Um, what's the parsha, Ari? Okay, what page? Okay, let's go. You ready? Okay. I want to learn with you. That's kind of a lot of different things. I would like to learn with you a fairly famous section of the Torah, page 972. Mm-hmm. Chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. You might be familiar with this. What are we looking at? What are we looking at? The Shema. We're looking at the Shema. And I actually want to learn with you something that's not in the text. Even though the Shema is a seminal thing, but I want to learn with you something that we do every day, which comes in between the first sentence and the second sentence. So let's take a quick look. You'll see what I mean. I'm sure you're familiar with it in a moment. So let's take a look for a moment. Shema Yisrael Hashem Elkein Hashem Echad We could spend... Our whole life on this. Listen, Kla Yisrael. Hashem is our God. Hashem is one. The classic faith statement of the Jew. 
child is brought home from the hospital, and we say the Shema, it's the last moments of a person's life. We say the Shema, and in between we say the Shema a few thousand times as well. At least that many. The classic statement of the Jew. Look at Rashi for a moment. What's with the what's the basic message of the Shema? So Rashi says, Is God only our God, Hashem Elokeinu? He's not only our God. Hashem Shuelokeinu Ata. He's the God that is our God now. Below Elokeha Umos. But he's not the God of the nations, not by his choice. But in the future, he'll be one God for them also. So some of you might have been in shul on Shabbos when I shared the following story. But I was at the Kotel this past Monday. And uh, that means it was last week at this time, Mamish. Um, you could try to... You could, you could do it. You could do it. Just move that well. Or maybe the top one. The top. Move the top. Great. It's almost there. So it's the... Uh, when did I become so intolerant of kids? That's what, what's going on with me? Unbelievable. Oh, my God. Okay, fine. So, uh... It's called Jess. Uh, anyway, um... Did I change or they change? You changed. Probably both of us. Are you me? I changed. You also, you also fine. Yes. Fine. I thought you were very encouraging. Just, to, just, yeah, I try to be, you know. Please leave now. <laughs> you can do it, yeah. So, uh, so uh, it's funny. My wife, I don't, I don't tell the story well. My wife tells the story Gavaldi, of a family like a Mea Sharim with like eight kids, and they were very, the mother was very disciplined, and the, the youngest kid, so came home and the oldest kid was there. The oldest kid was married with their own set of kids, and. Uh, the oldest kid, the oldest daughter, saw that the mother was giving the youngest daughter, she was tired, she gave the youngest daughter a potato chip in the middle of the week. And she said, Mom, what's going on here? When I was growing up, we didn't get a potato chip. At best, we got like half a potato chip. So she said, that's right. When you were, when you were growing up, you got a full mother, a whole mother, and half a potato chip. But this kid gets half a mother, and a whole potato chip. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great answer. Yes. Anyway, back to the story within the story. I'll get to the share at some point. So the, uh, so the, uh, Ari, you don't have to write the little story. But the, if you want, you can. But, uh, but the, uh, and you can record, I want to record it, I want to record the stories. So the, uh, so, uh, I'm, st- I'm sitting at the hotel, and I'm, trying to doubt it. And there's an African-American fellow to my right. It's a free country, love all Jews. And he's praying either to his android or from his android. Do you know he's American? Yeah. Oh, well, actually, you're right. But I'm just using the colloquialism. You'll see. He's actually African-African. You'll see from the end of the story. I said it wrong. I said it wrong. Um, you'll see. Boy, you, what a tough crowd. I'm, I'm going back to Israel. <laughs> That's it. So the... Um, so anyway, I'm sitting, so, so he's, he's praying either to his android or from his android and saying psalms, and I'm impressed. I feel, okay, 15 minutes, he's wearing one of those kotel yarmulkes, you know, like the, the whole story. And he's going on for like an hour at least. And I notice that he's not even using the android, and he's still praying. 
I, so I, I just couldn't, you know, I, I, my, the New York in me came out. So I said, to her, I said, hi, nice to meet you. Basically, what's your story, whatever, you know, like, so he's from Uganda. He's been in the country for seven days. He's Christian. Okay, he's Christian. And he's praying. He knows many of the Psalms by heart. Of course, more than I do. You know, more than I do. Especially, I don't know it in English, for sure. Um, and um, and I, I said to him, so, he, so he's very excited. You know, I'm a rabbi, he's not. So he shows me, he takes out his Old Testament from the Android and chronicles two Divrei Hayomin days, chapter six. And he shows me that it says that this temple which Solomon built, actually this temple was not what Solomon built, but I didn't want to get into the complexity, but it's the same, same basic vicinity, right? So he says, and it says, and this, this is a place where all the nations of the world can come to pray. He said, and that's why I'm praying here, because all the nations, you know, I said, that's correct. I said, but there's only one little, one, only one little qualification. Are you, uh, are you uh, using that guy's name? Are you, using the, are you using, you know, the, the fellows? You know, are you praying with... So he said, yeah. So I said, you can pray, but you have to make sure to mail it to the right address. You have to, you have to mail the prayer to the right address. Right? You can pray, but it's got, you know, it's not going to go to the right address. It's not, you know, so it'll be, it'll be what do they call the, the de- a, dead, a dead letter or whatever the exact terminology is. Right? So then he turned to me and goes, can I become Jewish? I said, absolutely. So he said, How? I said, you go to the, you know, the rabbi, chief rabbinate of Uganda. I don't know exactly how to do that. Right? But uh, you, 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 look at, you look up the chief rabbinate or whatever, and you, know, you speak to them. And there's a whole course, and it takes time, but you can do it. So if you see a Ugandan Jew in two years from now, get, it's my credit. Anyway, but uh, so that was, that was uh, just a little mice that happened right now, the, I didn't tell you about the Arab driver who took me back from the Kotel, and that's a whole story also. Okay, but I, gotta, I have to save some, I have to save something, I have to save something. So, uh, oh yeah, what were we talking about again? Right. So Shema, so Rashi says, so Rashi says, so Rashi says that was, that, that in the future, they will recognize Hashem. Right, there'll be clarity. As it says... Bayomahu, famous line, we say this all the time. And that day, Hashem Echad And that day, God's name will be one. He, he, God will be one and His name will be one. So Rashi explains, let's understand here, Rashi explains that the concept of the oneness of God in terms of Shema is manifested by the present reality in contrast to the future. The present reality is He is now Hashem Elokeinu. He is our God. We recognize Him as one. But in the future, everybody will recognize Him. There will be a unanimity, Hashem Echad. And by the way, when you say Shema, that's a very appropriate kavanah to have. That you hope that Hashem's reality will be something that the whole world acknowledges. It's a very important idea. Now, we don't Jews don't proselytize. We don't go ahead and try to convert people to be Jews. Nevertheless, nevertheless, to teach the notion of the monotheistic God is a very significant idea. It's a question of triage. We don't have 
endless resources. We have to first worry about Jews, right? Because it's all in the family. But it's a very fundamental concept. Good. That's basic. That's Rashi. That's Rashi. Let's put Rashi to the side for now. And let's look at the next line. You should love Hashem your God. With all your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your me'odecha, which is translated in the art scroll to mean all of your resources. Or I like to say with all of your very. Because me'od means very. Good is tov, tov me'od is very good. You should serve God with all of your very. With me, which means an emphasis on, right, emphasis on um, going beyond the regular, right? Extraordinary service, right? So, just one basic idea, and then I'll get to the key, the key idea machine. B'chol levavcha, the rabbis teach us, again, there's a lot of what I'm telling you now, you can go in different directions, but I'm giving you one explanation, one explanation. B'chol levavcha, which means with all of your, um, with all of your spiritual resources, lave, the heart, the heart, the emotions, b'chol kochotecha haruchniyim. Rashi doesn't say what I just said, mm-hmm. but I'm giving you one very normative approach with all of your spirituality, with all of your spirituality. B'chol nafshecha, b'chol nafshecha, the Gemara explains this to me, um, that you that um, the Gemara explains this to me that you have to give up your life you have to give up your physicality your body that one may not worship idols one may not renounce God even if they have to forfeit their life right and becholmodecha means what? all of your money so again lave means what? all of your all your all of your spiritual kochos should be turned and directed to God. Not nefesh, all of your physical resources, even your life itself. And meodecha, financial resources. Financial resources. So now, that's the classic. That's the classic. Again, Rashi has a, a slightly different idea. But that's the classic. So now I want to share with you something amazing. I just really came across this today. There's a commentary known as Rabbeinu Yonah. Famous, famous Spanish commentary. Rabbi Yonah, Rabbi Yonah of Girondi, Girona. Um, he lived slightly after the Rambam. He lived in, the Rambam lived from 1135 to 1204. I think Rabbi Yonah lived in the late, uh, late 13th century and early 14th century. I'm going to have to even Google it. Rabbi Yonah um, says that the students of Rabbi Yonah said the following thing. You might know that in the that in the Shema, after it talks about this idea, it of what of loving God with all your resources, it then um, tells us it then tells us about the mitzvah of tefillin and the mitzvah of mezuzah, right? The mitzvah of tefillin and the mitzvah of mezuzah. That's in the Shema. You'll take a look. I mean, you can see it's in it's in. Uh, um, Verse 6, These words should be on your heart. You should teach your children. 
ושיבטחו ויסיח ולכתו בדרך, as you're walking in the house, וכשאתם לאוסה יודך, and you should bind them as a sign on your hand, ויותן בסבן עיניך, and between your eyes, וכסבתם על מזוזות ויסיחו וישרך, and you should write them on the mezuzahs of your household, right? Mezuzah. So tefillin, shaliyah, so there's also Talmud Torah, but Talmud Torah is an overarching transcendent mitzvah which we're not going to get into. So Rabbeinu Yonah says a beautiful thing, and I, I, really until I, I prepared for this year, um, I, did, I never knew this, and now it really gives me a much greater appreciation of the structure of the first paragraph of Shema. So you ready? Here we go. Rabbeinu Yonah says that the, the tefillin of the head is meant for a person to subjugate their head, their thinking, their, shall we say, their neshama, their neshama to Hashem. Because the intellect is the seat of the neshama. The neshama is manifested in the, the neshama is manifested in the wind. There are different ways of articulating it. I'm just giving you a minion. It says that the neshama, the, the spiritual kochos of a human being, um, those, that's manifested in the way that he thinks about life. So, tefillin shel rosh is meant to channel, right, to channel the thoughts, right? And the tefillin shel yad, he says, is meant, needs to be on the arm, but it needs to go into the heart. And he says the heart represents, the heart represents taiva, desire. Desire. Right? You think about the heart. It's different than what I said a moment ago. Because I told you before that what? That, that lave is your spiritual kochos. But Ben Yonah is saying that lave actually means your, your what? Your desires. Your desires, right? The desires of the heart. We often, you like, love is often met, is, is depicted as the heart. Right? So the head is what? The seichel, he says, the tefillin shel rosh is meant to control your seichel, your thoughts, to elevate your thoughts. The tefillin shel yad, which need to be facing the heart, is meant to channel, to sublimate, to elevate your desires. And then he says, and mezuzah, the mezuzah, um, is mishabed adam mamono. When a person takes, where is the mezuzah meant to be? On the house. Right? In the house, on the house. The house is the most precious asset of a human being. Especially in Los Angeles. Right? The house is the classic materialism. That's the house. Right? So the mezuzah is for the resources. So now look how beautiful this is. The tefillin shel rosh what is what? Is parallel to what? The neshama. The neshama. Or... <coughs> Excuse me. The or the nefesh, right? And the tefillin shaliyad is parallel to the, to the heart. And the mezuzah is? The mezuzah is the meodecha. So the way it's presented in the Torah is exactly the order. It's the tefillin shaliyad, which is the lame, and then it's the, the totafot benenecha, which is the nefesh, and then the mezuzah, which is what? Which is the meodecha, which is the resources. The three mitzvos that appear in the paragraph of the Shema are meant to be transcendent. They're not simply particularistic, individualistic mitzvos, but rather they're what? There's meant, the meta-message of the mitzvah is meant to channel your very essence. 
right? Channel your desires, channel your thoughts, channel your resources to an ongoing, constant relationship with Hashem. So it's not random, stam these mitzvos, right? Very interesting. Very interesting. Okay, so let's put that aside for now. Okay, that's just, I, I just, I, I felt that I had to share that with you. Okay, but you know that when we say the Shema, we actually insert a line. What's the line that we insert? Baruch Shem Where did that come from? That's not in my Torah. What, but yet we say it, and we say it usually silently. We say it silently. What's with Baruch Shem Kivod Malchus Which literally means, blessed is the name of God's glorious kingdom, right? Kivod Malchuso, the glory of his kingdom, Le'olam Ba'ed, forever and ever. And we say it silently, except for one time a year, which is when? Yom Kippur, we don't say it silently, we say it loud. So, where does the Baruch Shem, it's not in the Shema, where does that come from? Because you accept in the yoke of kingship. I mean, the yoke of... The yoke of uh, so why isn't Shema enough? Why isn't Shema enough? Isn't that the Kavana? When you're, like, saying, I'm prepared to accept the mitzvot upon myself. I'm prepared to accept the... So, in other words, excuse me for being kingdom. facetious, I mean, God's Torah needs a correction. Okay, I, I, it's not fair. That's so not nice what I just did. I'm abusing my rabbinic power. I'll just say you back to you, me. but call. You should sue me. Brother <laughs> Brad, I'll just say okay. back to you, the but call. Okay, fine. So, so okay, so, so, uh, so, um, Brad, listen, we as a shear would like to send you back to Israel next week already. Already, you know. So, so I want to share with you a beautiful piece of Torah. Based on Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky and an article that I read by Rabbi Baruch Gigi, who's a Rosh Yeshiva in the Yeshiva known as Haretzion, also known as Gush. Very beautiful Torah combining Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky, the, the Rosh Yeshiva Torvedas, Rabbi Baruch Gigi, and the source of Baruch Shein Kvod Machus So, first, I need to give you a few basics. A few basics. Number one, number one, we actually have um, two, or maybe three, different sources for Baruch Shem. And I'm sure some of you have heard of, heard of them. So here's the first one. The Gemara in Psachim, page 56. Page 56b, Nun Vav Beis, tells us the following. Nun Vav Aleph, I apologize. 56a. The Gemara says that when Yaakov Avinu gathered together his, when he gathered together his children, and he wanted to reveal to them, he wanted to reveal to them when the end of days would be. When the Mashiach would be. That would be nice to know, yeah. But, he, but then the Shekhinah left him. Nistalka mimenu Shekhinah. And although the Gemara doesn't say this, um, doesn't say this in an explicit way, but there's a medrash that says that he thought, he, 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 he thought that amongst his children, amongst his children, um, he didn't see the letters Kuf and Sadi, which means case. Reuven, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda, etc., you'll go through the names, you won't find the letters case. The, the end of days. 
So he thought that there was something wrong with them. So the Gemara says, he says that Yaakov said, Shema chas yesh Maybe that there's something, something wrong here, because after all, Abraham had from him a Yishmael, and Yitzhak had an Esav. This is the Gemara. Maybe there's something wrong amongst you. Again, the Gemara doesn't say what I'm about to say. The Medrash does say this. They turn to him and they say, it's true, you don't, we don't have the letters Kates, Kuftzadi, but we also don't have the letters Chet Tet. What are the letters Chet Tet? Spell Chet. There's no Chet amongst us. And the Gemara says, they turn to him and they said, Amrulo Banod Shema Yisrael. Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. Listen, Yisrael. Who's speaking now? Who's speaking? Yaakov. The sons of Yaakov. <clears throat> and they're turning to their father. And they're saying, Shema Yisrael. They're calling their father Yisrael. Listen, Yisrael. Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. In this place, Keshen She'en Belibcha Ele Echad. Just like you believe that there's only one God, Kach Ein Belibeinu Ele Echad. So too, we also believe the same thing. Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. He's Ba'osa Shah. At that moment, Pasach Yaakov Avinu Ba'amar, Baruch Shem Kivod Malchuso Liolam Ba'ed. Blessed, he was, this was a statement of thanks on Yaakov's behalf. When he heard that his children, when he heard that his children were all on the same spiritual page. Blessed is the glorious kingship of God forever and ever, because my children have carried the mantle. Before I continue with the Gemara... Do you consider those people the first a beautiful question. I think the Gemara says that Ruuvain was the first Baal um, And then there's another Gemara that says Yehuda taught a Tshuva also, so you know, I have to figure out how to work those things out. But I want to share with you before I tell you, go back to the Gemara, the, the Medrash Rabbah has a very similar version, but the Medrash Rabbah says that Yaakov Avinu, when he heard this, when he heard this, he said, Bilichisha. He said, Bilichisha. He said in a whisper, Baruch Shem Kivod Machuso Leolam Ba'eh. He whispered, Baruch Shem Kibod Machus Oliolam Boy. Amar Rabbi Levi, Uma Yisrael Omrim Achshav. And what do the Jews say now? Shema Avinu Yisrael. Oto Adabar Shetzivitanu. That which you commanded us earlier. Noeg Banu Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. That means to say what? That means to say. That means to say that the Medrash, in contrast to the Gemara that I'm going to tell you in a moment, the Medrash tells us that Yaakov whispered from the very beginning. The Gemara doesn't say that he whispered. He said it loud. But the Medrash says he whispered. And the Medrash says, and that's what we do today. What does that mean? So Rav Gigi explains in a very beautiful way. <coughs> it's, really, it's, really based, it's really based on, a, on a, another Medrash that the Medrash, the Medrash Rabban gracious says that every single day the Jew says Shema Yisrael Avinu Mimaras Hamachpelah 
Listen, Yisrael, Yaakov Avinu, we know where you are. You are in the cave of Machpelah. You are in the Mars Machpelah. What you commanded us then, we still believe in. We are still nachnu ma'aminim b'nei ma'aminim. So we are addressing ourselves when we say Shema. The secondary meaning is we're addressing ourselves to Yaakov. Now since Yaakov Avinu is not able to speak now in a physical way, right, Yaakov Avinu is not able to speak in a physical way, so you might have heard of this idea that when you speak Torah of somebody that departed, you ever hear, you know what I'm about to say? When you speak Torah, when you say like, oh, my father, my grandfather, my cousin, my uncle, you know, you say something, Torah of somebody that departed, the Gemara says, his lips move in the grave. Sivsosav dovivos bekever. His lips move in the grave. Now, exactly what that means, you'll have to speak to the Kabbalists amongst us, and I'm not at liberty to reveal who those are. But the deep idea is, the deep idea is that when you say Torah, then the person's svasayim, the lips, are the nexus between this world and the next, because the lips are the place where a Kaddish Baruch, where a person uses the Koach of Dibor, speech, right? And speech is the place where the Neshama and the Guf come together. So when I speak Torah, so it has, in the name of the departed, it has an effect on the one that passed away. But I can't hear him. I can't hear him. So now you understand very beautifully one explanation, which is not the classic explanation at all. We'll get to the classic explanation in a moment. But one explanation of why we whisper Baruch Shem Kibod Malchus knew what's the explanation I'm about to say is because Yaakov Avinu is, who is responding to us every single day, every single time when we say Shema Yisrael but Yaakov Avinu is in a different world. And when he and, and when we say Shema Yisrael what we're saying is Yaakov, listen, we're still faithful Jews and he's responding but he's responding in a way that we can't hear him. He's because his sivsosav are dovos bekever. So he's responding. He's saying, right from the grave. Beautiful, no? Beautiful explanation. It's worth it. Rachel's worth it to come. Mamish, the, the you know the semi-annual visit. It's worth to come just to that. I'm sorry. You know you got to, You know you're gonna get it, right? So Gavaldik. Okay. So that is one explanation. That's one explanation. Let's put that aside. Second explanation, the Gemara in Pesachim. The Gemara says, Amri Rabbanan, the Rabbanan said, we have a dilemma. What should we do? What should we do? After all, it doesn't say, Baruch Shem Kivod Malchus in the Bible. So how do we incorporate this response? On the one hand, it's not Torah. It's not in the Torah. On the other hand, Yaakov Avinu is a fairly significant person. He's no worse than, he's better than Chazal in the sense of those that establish prayer. He's the greatest of the great. So we want to take his words and make it part of prayer. So what do we do? So of course it's not better than the Torah. So what do we do? So Amru Rabbanu, Hechi Nabir, what should we do? Nomruhu. Should we say it loud? Lo Amaro Moshe. Moshe didn't say it. Lo no ru, we're not going to say it. Amro Yaakov, but Yaakov did say it. So what did we do? So they established that it should be done in a what? It should be done in a silent way. 
the silent undertone is the compromise position between Torah and Tefillah, between Moshe and Yaakov. Moshe represents Torah, right? And Yaakov, I guess in this context, represents Tefillah. And therefore what? And therefore we say it quietly. You with me? And if a Jew were to lame from the Torah and say, Baruch Shem Kibod Machus when he's laning, we would knock him out of the box. Right? That's heresy. It's not in the Torah. But in prayer it is. So in order to show the distinction between prayer and Torah, we say it in a different tone. We say it in a different tone. You got it? You with me? Okay, now. That's explanation number two. The Gemara gives a very beautiful muscle, which I'll just tell to you very quickly. The Gemara says, it's like if you're in the house of the king and, and, you, uh, and, you, and you're the princess and you smell a dish that's coming from a different place and you, want, you really want that dish. You want, but, but it's a little bit, you know, the royal chef is making the food and you want the peasant's food, right? It doesn't say the peasant food. You want the other food. So it's a little bit, it's, it's pastinish, right? You know, you know you're, you're, in, uh, you're in Buckingham Palace, right? And, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, give me a good Yiddish name. Give me a Yiddish name. No, no, a woman's name. Give me a good Yiddish name. What? Chaya Fega. Chaya Fega. And, okay. And Chaya Fega. I need a, a little, I need a, Sadie. Goldie. And Goldie, right? And I need a little bit older. Give me, okay. And Sadie, right? And Sadie Bessie. makes, what? Bessie. Bessie. Ah. And Bessie makes like a potato kugel dripping Right, dripping with uh, you know with uh, with grease, dripping with uh, you know with the schmaltz, and you know, and it's at Buckingham Palace, and they have the fancy you know I don't even know how to say the words anymore, you know, pedophores or whatever it is, and you know, and the and the princess sees the potato kugel, right, and she says you know potato kugel or pedophores, potato kugel, I'd rather have a potato kugel, right, at least a little bit, right, you know. So the Medrash, so the Gemara says, sorry for that random example, but the but the. Uh, but the, uh, now you know it's on my mind. So the, uh, so the Gemara says that, so you sneak in the potato cook. You sneak it in. To the Bas Melech, you give like, you know, you sneak it in, like, you know, nobody should see it. So that's the reason why we do it secretly. That's explanation number two. So explanation number one is that the Met, the Yaakov says it in a whisper, and we're explaining based on our Gigi, that it's really the idea that Yaakov Avinu is not alive, so it's the sifsos of dovros forever. And the second explanation, explicit Gemara Mitzvahim Daf Nun Third explanation, a very famous and beautiful medrash that I'm sure some of you have heard. The medrash says, medrash says as follows, that Moshe Rabbeinu. <coughs> <coughs> Medrash Rabbah and Devarim, that when Moshe went on high, he went Lamorom, on high. Malochei Ashores, the angels, the ministering angels said to Hashem, Baruch Shem Kivod Malchus That's what the angels said to God. Blessed is God in His glorious kingdom forever and ever. When Moshe heard that, he said, That's a great line. That's a great line. I'm bringing that down to earth. Mm-hmm. Behorir 
Otal the Yisrael. So now listen to what the listen to what the Medrash says. A very beautiful explanation. So Moshe, in the language of the Medrash, Moshe stole the line. Right? Moshe stole the line. So why do Klal Yisrael not say the line publicly? No, what do you think the Medrash is going to say? Why don't Klal Yisrael say the line publicly? Because what? It's like, right, because Rabbi Asi says, imagine if you stole a bracelet, right, from the palace, and now what? And now you're coming to the king, and you take the bracelet out, and you put it, and you wear it in public. It's a bit of a chutzpah, right? So Moshe Rabbeinu stole the line, right? And now you're going to say that line in the presence of the king, in the presence of the Melech Machem Lachim. What do you mean? You ripped off that line. That's an angelic line. You have no right to say it. You're not an angel. How did you, how did you get that line? You're a Ganif. So therefore the Medrash says, Nu, you probably heard this also, there's one day a year, Nu, finish it up for me, on Yom Kippur, that what? That we're allowed to say the line. Why are we allowed to say the line? Because on that one day, Nu, on that one day, we're what? We're like Malachim. So therefore what? We have proprietary rights to the line, right? We're a Malach on that, but the rest of the year, we're not. So we have no right to say it. We have no right to say it because we're not, right? We're not in. We're not a. We're not malachim. So we have a very interesting idea here. We have, and, and by the way, the classic commentary known as the Tour, the son of the Rush, who records the halacha in chapter sixty-one in Orachayim, when he talks about in the laws of Shema, when he talks about the, um, when he talks about um, the halacha of. Baruch Shem Kibod Machuso Olam Va'ed. He tells us, um, he tells us that we say it quietly because, and he quotes the Gemara because Moshe Rabbeinu had to say it because we want it covered for Moshe, for the Torah. And then when he talks on Yom Kippur, why we say it out loud, he gives the reason for the Malachim. So this idea, this tension between the sources is incorporated actually into the Halachic universe. On the one hand, he records the Yaakov Moshe concept with the Gemara Mesachim Daphne and Vav. On the other hand, when it comes to Yom Kippur, he gives us the Midrashic reason. So, it's very beautiful. Even if we just stopped the shear here, I think we got something. But I want to ask and try to raise a very basic question. And that is, what is this concept that Baruch Shem Kivod Malchus Oliolam Ba'ed is a line for the Malachim. And if it's a line for the Malachim, how does Yaakov have the right to say it? Mm-hmm. You with me? Yeah. You with me? How do we understand the nature of this line? Furthermore, and this is wild, there is a fourth source. So we looked at the source that told us, right, the, 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 the Gemara in Psachim, the Yaakov Moshe Gemara. We looked at the Gemara that tells us that Yaakov said it quietly, right? Not that we make a compromise. 
we looked at the Medrash that says that we stole the line, right? And there's a fourth source known as the Targum Yerushalmi. And Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky quotes for us the Targum Yerushalmi. And the Targum Yerushalmi says something fascinating. And this is really where it's, where the, it's really something very majestic, very beautiful. The Targum Yerushalmi says as follows. When the twelve, it's written in Aramaic, so I'm just going to give you the, the Hebrew or the English. When the twelve tribes, when they came before Yaakov, the Amrim, and they said, Shema Minon Yisrael. Listen, Yisrael. Avunun, our father. Hashem Elokana, Hashem Chad. Hashem is our God, Hashem is one. Ani Yaakov. Yaakov answered. And you know what he said? Ba'amar. Now listen carefully. Yaakov said, Yehei Shemei Rabah Mivorach Le'almei Almin. Yaakov said, Yehei Shemei Rabah Mivorach Le'olam Le'almei Almaya. Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever. Where is that line, Rabosai? That's Kaddish. That's the classic line in Kaddish. But what's interesting is, what's interesting is, do we say that line quietly? No. no. The Gemara says that if you say the line of Yehei Shmei Rabba Mevorach, if you say it with all your koach, which some Rishonim interpret to me, that line, that you say it with all your koach, means as loud as possible, to Machlokas, I don't understand that line, but some understand it the way I just told you. Yehei Shmei Rabba Mevorach, if you say it, the Gemara in Shabbos on page 119b says, that if you, and the thing is, the Gemara Brachas also. That if you say, Yehei Rabbah, with all your koach, then Hashem will rip out, rip away your bad decrees. Zardino. So I have a second question. Our first question is, how do we reconcile the tension in the sources? Is Baruch Shem Kvon Machuso a Yaakov thing, or is it a Malach thing? And the second question is, what is, why is it that Baruch Shem Kvon Machuso, other than your Kippur, has to be said quietly? But Yehei Rabbah, which is the Aramaic, and by the way, the, why Aramaic? So the 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 um, the Tosvos quotes Tosvos quotes. Why do we say Yehishme Rabbah in Aramaic? He says so that the Malachim won't understand, because the Malachim don't understand Aramaic. And by the way, some of you might be familiar with this because my parents, whenever they didn't want me to understand, right? So they spoke in they spoke in Yiddish. And my children, whenever they don't want me to understand, they speak in Yiddish. <laughs> and my parents and my children speak to each other, and I have no idea what's going on. My children speak a fluent Yiddish, and my father speaks a fluent Yiddish, my mother understands Yiddish, and I don't know, it's like skipped a generation, I don't know how it happened exactly. So it's like a big joke in, in our family. But my wife and I, so we speak Hebrew, but the problem, it's a funny thing, we didn't want, my wife, it's like, you know, like, you know, you don't want the neighbors to know, so you speak in Hebrew. So we were in Israel. My wife, she started telling me something in Hebrew. I said, I don't think that's going to work in this country. I don't think it's doing in Hebrew. Like, unless you're, like, living in, like, in, you know, unless you're, like, you know, in Ramat Shemesh. So then it could be that work because the whole thing is American there. But the bottom line is, right, so the, bottom, so, so the Malachim don't understand that whatever that means, that's not for today's year. So, so they say it in Aramaic 
So that the Malachim would understand it, and that's what Tosa says, that's why we can say it. So we have a fascinating comment by the Targum Yerushalmi that says that Baruch Shem Kvod Machusay Lolem Bohed is almost equivalent, or seems like it's equivalent to Heish Rabbah. If it's equivalent, why is it one you say loud and one you say in an undertone? You hear the question? Mm-hmm. Good question, right? So let's go to a fifth source. And with this fifth source, we will then put it all together. There's a very beautiful Gemara. Very beautiful Gemara. And in fact, Ari probably wrote this up, uh, we probably did this Gemara many years ago. So, let's read this Gemara. The Gemara in, is in Brachos. <coughs> Excuse me. The Gemara is in Brachos on, I think, page 3b. The Gemara says as follows. Gemara says, Amr Rabbi Pamachas, one time I was walking in the runes, the runes, seems like the runes of Jerusalem. Pamachas, I was one time I was walking in the runes of Jerusalem. Let me see if I can quickly get the exact, exact source. I was walking in one of the ruins of Jerusalem. Ba Eliyahu Zachur Listen carefully to the details. Eliyahu came. V'sham Pesach. And he watched me, he guarded me by the entrance. Until I finished my prayer. When I finished my prayer, Amali Shalom Alecha Rebbe. Eliyahu said to me, Rabbi Yossi, Eliyahu said to me, Rabbi Yossi, Shalom Alecha Rebbe. That's what Eliyahu said to Rabbi Yossi. So, and I turned to him and said, Shalom Alecha to you, my Rebbe and my teacher. Now, the Gemara has a few other pieces, but we're not going to get into that. He said to me, my son, Rabbi Yossi, what did you hear when you were in the ruins of Jerusalem? So, I heard the following, Shamati Basko, I heard a Batko, I heard a, a voice from heaven, Sheminahemet Kayona, which... Sounded like a dove. What's the verb with a dove? Cooing. What? Cooing. Cooing. Which cooed like a dove. Ve'omeres. Oi lebanim, woe to the children. She'be'avonosehem. Because of their sins. Hecheravti esbeisi. I had to destroy my own home. Re'ev to Tishabah. Ve'saravti esheicholi. And I burnt my heichal, my abode. Ve'higlesim lebena umos. And I exiled them amongst the nations. And Elio said, You should know, Rabbi Yossi, by your life, by the life of your head, whatever that means. Not only did you hear, not only this one time, three times a day God says this. This is, this is the bas call from God. But that's not it. When the Jews go into Bate Knesios, Ubate Midrashos, when they go into the synagogues and the study halls, and they say, which is the same as which is that line that we say in Kaddish, when they say that line, God nods his head in an approving way. And he says, Ashrei HaMelech. Praiseworthy is the king. Praiseworthy is the king that they praise him in his home. Woe to the father 
that had to exile his sons, woe to the children who were exiled from their father's table. So, what did Elio do here? He said, yes, you heard right. Not only that, he said it three times a day, but you should know that when they come into the synagogues and the study halls, there's no, there's no temple anymore, no base of anymore. You should know when they come in and they say, Yeshne Rabbah, then God says, what does he say? He says the same thing, right? He says, woe to the father that had to exile his children, right? Woe to the father, and woe to the children that were, that were exiled from the father's table. So what's the difference? So, one, there's one difference. Anybody note the difference when I said it the first time? What's the first thing that God says? Praiseworthy is the king that what? That they praise him in his house. Beautiful. So ask Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky a third question. Where did the king come in here? Until now, what's the metaphor? What's the metaphor? Father and son. Now all of a sudden, it's the king. It's the king, right? Why does the metaphor switch? And then it switches back to father and son. So what are our three questions? The first question is what? How to reconcile the sources of what? Of Yaakov, Moshe, Yaakov and the Malachim, right? How do we do that, right? The second question is, why is Yehoshmei Rabbah loud and Baruch Shem quiet? And the third question is, what happens here in this fifth source where first he's the father and son and then all of a sudden it becomes the melech. So Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky says a beautiful, gorgeous idea. Mamish, amazing. And then we'll connect it to Shema in a moment. He says like this. He says, when God is, a, when the Beis HaMikdash is functioning, when the Beis when, when, when the Beis HaMikdash is uh, is shooting at all fours. So then God's glory is manifest. The first temple, right, the mir- constant miracles, the presence of the Shekhinah, the Kvod Malchuso. In fact, in fact, the Gemara says an amazing thing. The Gemara in Chagiga, page 13b, says that in one source, it seems to indicate, in one source, it seems to indicate that, that God's throne that there are, excuse me, that, that amongst, God, amongst God's malachim, there are six wings. And in another source, it indicates that there are only four wings. And the Gemara says, well, what's the difference? Did, did they have six wings or four wings? So the Gemara says, well, it depends. In the time of the temple, it was a six-winged angel. In the time when there's no base Amigdash, only four wings. So, says the Vilna Gaon, says the Vilna Gaon, What's the difference between the six wings and the four wings? Let's see. Baruch, Shem, Kivod, Machuso, Laolam, Vaed. That's six words. Six words. Baruch, blessed is the Kivod, Machuso, Laolam, Vaed. The glory of God's kingship forever and ever. When God is manifest in the world, listen carefully. When you see the manifest, open, revealed reality of God, then you are looking at the Melech. You're looking at the Melech. So when there's no Beis HaMikdash, we have to take away two words. What do we have to take away? What two words? 
you help me out. What two words? What? That's one word. Baruch, shame. We have to take away the what? Kavod Malchuto. What does Kavod Malchuto mean? The glory of God's kingship. In this world now, we do not see God as the king. God is behester. God is hidden. In this world, we can say, Baruch, shame, malchuso, laolam, va'ed. In, in, in this world, we can say, blessed is the Baruch, shame, laolam, va'ed. Blessed is God's name forever and ever, which is the same thing as saying what? Yehei, shemei, rabba, mevorach, laolam, ameyamayo. Which is, let God's great name be blessed forever and ever. That's for sure true. But there's something that's missing in this world, in the present reality. What's missing, what's missing is the kvod malchus. The kvod malchus means to be able to see the manifest hand of the Ribbon Sha'olam. And therefore what? The Vilna Gaon explains something magnificent that in the Musaf, in the Musaf of the Shmona Esrei, the Musaf of the Shmona Esrei of Yom Tov, we say, Avinu Malkeinu! Galei kvod malchuscha aleinu. Reveal the kvod malchuscha. Reveal the, the, the glory of your kingship upon us. And then we ask for the Beis HaMikdash to be restored. restored. You know why? Because Beis HaMikdash equals the kvod malchus. The glory of God's kingdom in this world. When God is manifest. So now listen carefully. You could probably figure out the rest of the shir. When the malachim speak to God. What do they say? Baruch Shem Kivod Malchus Why? Why did the Malachim say the six, the six letter, the six word formulation? Why? You tell me. Because the Malachim, in the world of the angel, no, God is, God is manifest. They don't need to be Samigdash. In the world of the angels, the Rebbe is, is is there. He's constantly there. That's the speech of the Malach. That's the speech of the Malach. On Yom Kippur. On Yom Kippur, we get to use the privilege of Malach speech. We use the language because on Yom Kippur, God, Bikdusha, Uvitahara, even in a world without Beis Amikdash, there's something unbelievably deep, otherworldly, so special. You ask people who are somewhat spiritually attuned, what's the greatest highlight of your year spiritually and many people will say some people might say you know some people might say Purim you know Purim when I get to get stone drunk doesn't sound like it's a spiritual high right and some people might say you know Sukkis because I get and some people say Tishuba but most people that I've spoken to when they reflect they say the last moments of Yom Kippur when they say Baruch Shem Kivod Malchuso Hashem Kim. And Hashem Elohim just means the God who was hidden is now revealed. And therefore the Gemara in Psachim on page 50, the Gemara in Psachim on page 50 says, what is the Shema Hashem Elohim Hashem Echad? So Rashi says, because the Gaia and the nations of the world don't accept God yet, but the Gemara has a different explanation. And the Kliyakar explains this idea in a, in, in, a, in a more elaborate way. But he says, in this world... God is piecemeal. We don't see all, how all the pieces work together. Right? The classic challenge of, 
of seeing that God was in him. Hashem El. But so, so that's why in this world we make a bracha on the good and a bracha on the bad. Two separate brachas. But in the future, we will see the oneness of God. We can't make a bracha of good when it looks bad, even though we know ultimately it's good. Because we could only make a bracha on how we perceive it. So therefore, we make the bracha of Dayana Met when a person dies, even though ultimately speaking it might be for a tremendously beneficial thing for the Nishama. But that's not the way that we perceive it. So therefore we say, Baruch Dayana Met. So therefore what? So therefore comes the Gemara and says, So comes the Gemara and says that, in, that, that right now, until the Messianic era, Hashem is Elokeinu. He is what? He is, right now, there's, there are different pieces in the language in the language of the Gemara. Let me just give you the exact formulation. The exact formulation. Atu ha'idna lav shmo'echonu. Today, God is not, His name is not one. This world is not like the next world. In other words, this world is It's what we say yud hey. It's written yud hey, then vav hey, the four letter name of God. But we read it aleph dalit because because the yud ke vav ke means the God of mercy, the God of all existence. But we don't see it all together. We only see God as the adon right now. And therefore what? And therefore. God is hidden in this world. The concept of hiding God's name is embedded into the, the name of God. We're not allowed to say it that way. Like Jay's witnesses, we can't say that. We can't say that because that's a name that we don't perceive in this, in this world yet. So therefore what? So therefore, on Yom Kippur, we're able to say Baruch Shem out loud because there's a holiness and there's a manifest nature. And when the Jew is able, in the future, we're able to say what? We're able to say, we're able to say with clarity, Hashem Echad. And the Malachim are able to say, Baruch Shem Kivod Malchus And therefore, and Musaf, when we pray for the base of Midas to be rebuilt, we say, Galei Kivod Malchuscha. We say, what God? Reveal the, the, the glory of your kingship. However, there's one other point, And this is really the, the take-home point I want to say. And that is the Gemara, the Medrash, the Talmud Yerushalmi said that when we, then they turned to Yaakov, they said, Yeheshmei, they said, Yeheshmei Rabba Meborach, La'olmei, La'olmei Almaya, La'olmei Amin. And that, that's, that's being equated to Baruch Shein Kvod There's an equation here. There's, it's tantamount to an equivalency. And the, and, the, and the Gemara says that when we say, Yeheshmei Rabba, what does God say? What does God say? Praiseworthy is the king. So Rabbi Yaakov says, well, how do we change the metaphor? So a father and son, so that's not the metaphor of glory. There are many children who don't consider their parents glorious, even if they consider the parents to be empathic and merciful and sustaining. But kingship is different in terms of control and complete and total mastery. When the Jew says, Yehei Rabbah, not in the Beit HaMikdash, but in the Beit HaKneset and the Beit HaMedrash. When the Jew says, which is a statement of, I don't see it, but I know it. Let the name of God be eternally, eternally great 
let the name of God in the language, Tosos has one explanation, let God's name become greater. How does God's name become greater? God is, that doesn't need to become greater, but let me understand more the greatness of God's name. When a Jew says, Yehoshua Rabbah, when he says, it's very difficult in my life now, but even though I'm, I'm not living in a base of existence, I'm living in a world of darkness, I still know that there's something there, that, that the Kodesh Baruch Hu is there, and he's always there. When he says that, well, how does... What does HaKadosh Baruch Hu feel? He says, you're, what you're really saying is, I know you're the Melech, even though I don't understand how you're the Melech. I don't understand how the pieces fit together, but I know you're the Melech. And that's why when we say, Yeheshmei Rabbah, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, Ashrei HaMelech! Hashem says, oh, they're praising me as a Melech! And who is the one who expresses the phrase, Baruch Shem Kivod Machus Who is the one? His name is Yaakov Avinu. Why? Because Yaakov Avinu is the first Jew who lived the life of Galus. Yaakov Avinu is the first Jew who lived the life of darkness. We can talk about this forever. But Yaakov Davin's Mayriv. Yaakov Avinu was the one, right, whose his Yosef was separated, right, and, and he had a house of love, and Yaakov Avinu was the one that could say, I hear Shema Yisrael, I'm telling you, my kindalach, you're going to live my life, I'm going to tell you, don't ever stop saying what I say, Baruch Shem Kivod Machus but you know what, it's, it needs to be said, it needs to be said in a quiet way, in a quiet way. Yeheshmei Rabbah is, I know you're the king, but I'm not going to say it, because I really want to understand it. And when we say Yeheshmei Rabbah, it brings out, it evokes the Malchus of Hashem. It evokes the Malchus of Hashem. It evokes the kingship. Baruch Shem Kivod Malchuso is the six-word formulation. Yeheshmei Rabbah is the four-word formulation. It's Baruch Shem Malchus of the Olam. But when we say when we say Yeheshmei Rabbah, it evokes Malchus. It evo- I want to share with you the story. I, I, I can't not tell you the story. So I'm going to see, you hear the part? Yeah. So the concept is the concept is that when we're saying Yeheshmei Rabbah, we're saying it. We're saying Malach speak Mal- language that they don't want. We don't want to tell them Malachim. But it's not exactly the same as Baruch Shem. It's the statement of, I know, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you're peaking, you're there, but I don't understand, I don't see it. So is it, so is it Malach speak, or is it Yaakov speak? The Territz is, it's both. Yaakov's greatness was that he was able to see the shame, the Malchus of Hashem, in his gullus existence, like the Malachim, were able to see HaKadosh Baruch Hu in a manifest way. Yom Kippur, it's manifest. Malachim, it's manifest. Beis Amikdash, it's manifest. In Golos, it's not. In Golos, we say Yehish Rabba. When we say Yehish Rabba, it brings down the Malchus of Hashem. So I read this beautiful story just this week. He's a very amazing writer. His name is Moshe Grilak. He's, a, he's the editor of Mishpacha magazine. He's a very deep Jew. And he, he shared a very personal piece this week where he shared how he was, when he was six years old, his parents... He was a, a child of the, he was a survivor. And his parents, um, he was on the run. He was a six, five-year-old sister, another brother and sister, two children another family, and they were hidden, and, um, and uh, he was being brought from Europe, somewhere in Europe, I don't remember the exact details here, and he's being brought into 
um, Switzerland, or from France, somehow they get over from France to Switzerland, and he describes like the, the memories of a six-year-old. He was in charge. He was a six-year-old. They paid, a, they paid somebody to smuggle him, but at some point the person who smuggled him said, okay, you're on your own. Imagine this, a six-year-old, the five-year-old, unbelievable. And he, he describes, um, he was given a short list of names and addresses of people whom his parents knew in Zurich, so that if we should manage to cross the border and reach safely, um, that I would be able to somehow find, inform them that the children of their acquaintances had arrived. So he says, I have no memory of saying goodbye to my parents, but my mother, who actually made it across the border together with my father at a later date, told me about the heart-rending scene. Forty years later, tears still appeared in my mother's eyes when she recalled that day. Um, and she, she relates how on that day, um, when the kids had to, were taken away, that one of the, his, his sister, the five-year-old sister, was sick. And, and the children said to the mother, you don't send away a sick child. She's supposed to stay home with her mother. Um, and he describes going through the forest with the French woman. I'll, I'll spare with you, spare you the details. The trees towered over our heads, and we were so alone. Even now as I write, the terrible sense of abandonment engulfs me. Maybe we cried, maybe not. I remember passing a little stream, etc. And then we came to a fork in the trail. The four of us stood there waiting. Waiting for what? I don't know. I suppose we couldn't decide which path to take. All of a sudden, a soldier appeared out of nowhere. Come here, he called to us in German. I was petrified. Was this a German soldier? The other children left in my care cast frightened, questioning looks at me. Immediately, I remembered my instructions to get rid of the list of names and addresses I had in my pocket if we would be caught by the Germans. To the best of my recollection, I swallowed the list. The soldier came up to us and told us to follow him. What choice did we have? We followed him, our knees quaking. A small army vehicle stood not far off. Without a word of explanation, he pushed us into the back seat. We were on our way. I remember sitting there, absorbed in my own fears, while the other children huddled close to me for protection. Finally, we reached a small guardhouse. The kids are, long story short, this was actually a Swiss soldier who saw the children at this crossroads, and he realized that if they would be caught by the German soldiers who were hovering, that they would be, their end would be near. And he, was, he brought them to a Swiss army camp, and he describes being in this army camp, and they were sick, and uh, they needed to get some food, etc., etc., etc. Then suddenly we were in Zurich, just getting to the point, in a beautiful house, with affluent-looking people standing around us, smiling and speaking to us lovingly. How have we gotten there? Who are these nice people? For years I didn't know. The four of us stood there, abashed and confused, as one of the ladies told us that we were going to be separated. Each of us was taken in by a different foster family. I remember that for us, the main point of that little speech was that we would no longer be together, and that we didn't know these people. Until then, all our hopes for survival lay in the fact that we were together. And now each of us would be alone in a strange city under the care of strangers. I remember well the awful scene I later, uh, uh, that took place there. We children went to pieces when we heard we were to be split up. There was crying and vomiting, throwing ourselves down on the floor in despair. Our terror-filled outburst was to no avail, of course. We were split up and taken to our respective foster families. My foster parents, Daniel and Esther Levenstein, may their memory be forever blessed, made every effort to ease my suffering. 
They brought me into their handsome home and pampered me in every possible way. But for many nights, I couldn't sleep. When I finally drifted, I would soon wake up. Wonderful Mrs. Levenstein tried her best to comfort me, not always successfully. Gradually, I adjusted, and for over a year, I lived in the home of the special family. To this day, I often think of the hashkocha that protected me while a million and a half Jewish children were exterminated. Why was I chosen for life? The question still plagues me. Now listen to this. Here's the key point. But a piece of the story is missing. A piece that I myself was unaware of for many years. How did we get to Zurich? Our arrival there wasn't due to the list of names and addresses. I had swallowed it the moment I heard the Swiss soldier address us in German. So how did, they, how did those good Jews find us, extract us from that refugee camp, and give us back the childhood that had been snatched away from us? How did they even know of our existence? Thirty years later, I found out the secret. While in Zurich on a lecture tour, I phoned Rebitz and Rosengarten, whose family was one of the three that my parents knew there. I asked her if she could explain the mystery, and this is what she told me. They had received information that the children of the Grelak families would be arriving in Switzerland, and they were constantly checking the Swiss government's list of refugees that had, that, that had successfully crossed over, which were updated and publicized regularly. But to the great consternations, our names never appeared. They couldn't help but entertain the dreadful thought that we might have been caught by the Germans. Perhaps we had been targets of the shots they had heard on that left-hand path. And then, I, then one Friday, Mrs. Rosengarten had gone to visit a sick woman in the hospital in Lausanne, a city in southern Switzerland. Walking through the hospital corridor, she noticed a little boy in the doorway of one of the hospital rooms speaking in French to someone in the room. Just as she was passing by, she heard him say wildly, I don't know what's going to be. I don't know what time Shabbos comes in. So this was a Jewish boy. Mrs. Rosengarten stopped in her tracks and asked him, Who are you? Maurice Grelak, the boy replied, using his French name. She stood there thunderstruck. As soon as she could get to the phone, she called Zurich and announced joyfully, We found the children. What were we doing in the hospital? My sister Chava, who had already been sick when we set out for the border, had come quite ill into the refugee camp. The officer in charge gave orders to take her to the hospital, but she refused to go without me. Realizing that we were still traumatized, the officer relented and allowed me to accompany her. Miraculously, Mrs. Rosengarten just happened to go out of town to Lausanne on a bigger home visit that Friday, and I just happened to be standing in the doorway of my sister's hospital room, expressing my worry about Shabbos at the very moment that Mrs. Rosengarten just happened to pass by. Still, there's one mystery I've yet to solve. Oh. Skipping that. And then he says as follows. He, was, he talks about his loneliness that comes, sometimes comes to him, his loneliness. He says, well, perhaps this is the point. Perhaps it is the kindness of the Bari Yisbarach, of God, that is pursuing me. And every time that the memory of the forest looms up in my mind, I should stand up and thank him for his protection, for holding me back from taking the left-hand path that led to a death trap, for sending that Swiss soldier who made us keep our heads down, for the Swiss army that took him for his Jewish children, for my sister's illness that brought us to the hospital and the fear that made her insist that I come along, for putting concern about Shabbos into my mind at the very moment that Mrs. Rosengarten was passing by her room. And perhaps, indeed, this is why I write this testimony, to thank him once again for the hashkacha that was and has continued to be so kind to me. Yehei Shemei Rabba Mevorach is when a Jew is in the darkness of Gullus, that he's able to say, I know that you're there, and I want to reveal kavod ma'chuso. And then we can understand that when a Jew does that, he's saying, are you waiting for me? They're finishing, right? When a Jew does that, 
when a Jew is saying Shema Yisrael even before the Mashiach. The statement of Baruch Shem for Mechusolomed is said quietly now. La'asid lavo, it will be a roar. Now Yehei Raba is the statement of I know you're there, I want to understand how the pieces fit, I know you're the Melech, we proclaim you the Melech even before we understand your oneness, but I'm looking forward because I know the best will be yet to come. Amen. For us, in our lives, for the national lives, in the most manifest and beautiful way. Thank you for listening. Wonderful. Look at the last three lines of the language. It's both of the phrases together.